Hello, and welcome to another edition of GHLF's News You Can Use, the podcast for patients and caregivers just like you with news that you can use. Brought to you, as always, by your good friends at the Global Healthy Living Foundation, GHLF. I'm your host, Stephen Newmark, Director of Policy here at GHLF, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Zoe Rothblatt. Hi, Zoe. Hi, Stephen. How's it going? It's great to be here today. Yes, excellent. Yeah. So as we move more into the summer, Zoe and I were talking a little bit before the recording about what worked and what didn't work. Not that the pandemic is over by any stretch of the imagination, but we are able to take a look back at some of the things, health policies that worked and some that did not work. And we found it interesting to note that some of the states that enacted more onerous policies were the states that had higher rates of transmission, or said another way, states that were a little more lax in their regulations had lower caseloads in a lot of instances. The two states that tend to get pointed to the most are Texas and Florida, where their governors were quick to release the emergency orders, lift a lot of the rules and regulations earlier on. They were quick to get rid of the masks before other states, and they didn't see uh, the resulting spike in the cases, whereas other states that had kept the regulations in place, uh, you know, numbers tended to, to remain high. And the real question is why? Uh, just in looking back, and you know, before we get into it, you know, first is why would why even bother if the pandemic is ending? And I think the answer from a public health perspective is, well, you always want to know what worked and what doesn't work. So you know, the next time things happen, you can be better better prepared. That's what health policy. That's what all policy is is about, of course. So just getting into it, just to to level set where where we are. You know, it, it's 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 a fierce debate. We uh, with the maskers, the anti-maskers, the folks who wanted businesses and schools and restaurants open all the way. It caused a lot of heartache, to say the least. And again, if you look at Florida and Texas, they were among the states that most aggressively reopened their economies. They were essentially allowed to reopen full operations in May or June of last year. Florida never instituted a, a full public mask mandate. Texas was the first state to revoke the mandate. California and New York, however, have been way more cautious. They didn't let some businesses like movie theaters and gyms reopen until many months after their their more conservative counterparts had already done so. And their state mask mandates are at least partially in effect uh, still in California and in New York. I mean, yet when you look at deaths per capita, New York is the highest behind only New Jersey, which is next door to New York, whereas Florida and Texas are right in the middle, uh, 26th and 24th, respectively, and California sitting a little bit lower at 30th. So you know, we hear after a year of debates of masks, anti-masks, lockdowns, school closings, restaurant closings, did these help? Did these not help? I'll turn over to you, Zoe, for some initial thoughts on this. Yeah, my first initial thought from coming from a public health background is an ideal um, scenario to study an intervention would be when you have a lot of control over it and you could have one intervention and you could have a group that has this intervention and a group that doesn't. But what's interesting with the pandemic is we put all of these interventions in at once. You know, we had the masks, we had the distancing, we had the stay at home orders. So it's hard to really distinguish which one was working and which one wasn't because they were all sort of happening simultaneously. So then I think as the pandemic went on, you know, we sort of had to pick apart and and scale back and see what's going on. As you were talking, I remembered that a few months ago, the CDC had said that children in schools can now sit three feet apart versus six feet apart. 
And that sort of felt a little arbitrary to me um, that adults maybe still had to be six feet apart, but children in schools weren't because we weren't seeing the spreading there. And then it seemed like, well, is distancing really helpful? And I think that what we've come to learn is that, you know, the masks did work in states with masking. The cases definitely did go down. But to me, it's also hard to think about case numbers as a determination of, you know, were these precautions and and protocols and mitigation efforts successful? Because often in the states that didn't have these, they weren't doing a lot of testing. And when you're doing more testing, you're going to have more numbers. So I think that, yeah, there's just a lot going on and it's hard to decipher. But at this point in the pandemic, I think that what we've come to realize is that masks work. And going forward, if we're going to have another outbreak and it's going to, in the winter, let's say, when we go inside and things start to go up again. I remember in the summer, cases were really down last year in New York, which was the epicenter. And then it sort of started coming up again. And then we got the vaccines and now we're outside and it's going down again. So it seems like masks and vaccines are the answer. Particularly with children or with elderly relatives, uh, there there was so much uncertainty. And I said over and over again last spring, everything you do is both right and wrong at the same time. Nobody knows what we're doing. It's never been done before. Everything you're doing is right and wrong, you know, within certain parameters. Obviously, going uh, indoors to large venues without masks was, was, you know, once we learned a little bit, that was, that was wrong. Um, but also, you know, on the flip side, there were people who I'd say were overly cautious and friends and relatives would say, hey, you know, we could go and meet in a park socially distanced and they wouldn't do it. And I would say, look, everyone's got to do what they got to do. We don't know what we're dealing with here. And so everything, everything I think we did as individuals, but also as society was both right and wrong at the same time. And you use hindsight to look back to see what worked. And to your point about the masks, I think those, you know, I think it's very clear that the science, the data on that is, is very clear that those worked. I'm not a scientist, but I viscerally could understand the idea that you have a virus in you and it, could, it, it leaves your system through your mouth or your nose and if you're not covered up, you can spread that to other individuals very easily. I also wonder, and I've been, I've been trying to read up on it before this podcast, I couldn't find much, but you know, some of the states with more onerous lockdowns tended to have more colder weather uh, where folks are more likely to gather indoors than Texas and Florida, for example. They tended to have bigger urban populations or more uh, per capita populations that were centered around urban areas where it's harder to distance yourself. If you live in an apartment building, you have an elevator or you're just walking around, you've been on the streets. And again, we, we're learning now that that the passage of the of the virus isn't really taking place outside, but still you, you're, you're passing people. So you often have a communal laundry room, things like that in urban areas. So I do wonder if, if that was a factor. People with essential jobs in urban areas tend to commute on public transportation. They tend not to have automobiles. So I wonder how much that played a role in it. The testing, there is a, you know, we'll never know how many people had the virus um, and just never tested for it or either were asymptomatic or, or limited symptoms that didn't manifest itself to the point of, of, of requiring tests. So I think, you know, I think that there's a lot of, you know, interesting things at play. Another thing I, I wanted to raise is a year ago at this time, I, I also said, one of the good things, there are good things that come from pandemics because we learn from them and try to do better each time. And one of the things I was hopeful for 
in this pandemic is that there was there would be a great appreciation for the study of public health and and folks uh, like you, Zoe, like myself, people with master's degrees who study public health and and people even smarter than us with PhDs, epidemiologists telling us, you know, keeping us safe. But my fear now is that because some of these policies and procedures perhaps were not as effective as we had thought, combined with what is essentially somewhat mixed messaging or at least befuddled messaging, I would say, from the CDC, there's almost less trust, if you will. Um, it's also it's, it's, it's a problem in society at large in our country. There's uh, much more distrust of, of public authorities generally today than there was a year ago and certainly today than there was five years ago and 10 years ago. But I'm, I'm, it's definitely sad to see that, you know, the great hope that we would look to public health more doesn't seem to be, doesn't necessarily seem to be materializing. Yeah, I agree with you. And just to add a layer to that for people in our community that have chronic disease, I think we're really looking to authorities to establish really set guidelines to help them. And I think that for people in our community, it's scary that these guidelines are, are changing and, and maybe weren't so rigid throughout. And they were really looking for guidance and almost like a parent figure to say to everyone, this is what we need to do. And because there was so much mumbo jumbo of information going on, it made people in our community feel a lot less safe. And I think that that especially when you have chronic disease, you really want everyone to be listening to the health authorities and, and good information coming out. And, and, you know, that's why we do what we do. We help disseminate good health information to everyone out there, because that is really at the end of the day, what is helping inform decisions. And when you're not getting a lot of good information, it's easy to lose trust in the authorities. You know, it's a, it's a difficult balancing act between public health, you know, doing the pure public health thing and then sort of putting that in the um, saucer of politics and government and what you actually disseminate as to become pure policy. And I think that's where it gets befuddled. A few weeks ago um, on this podcast, I said when the new guidance came out with the CDC regarding vaccinated individuals and, and the demasking, I thought then I still contend today that the problem with the CDC was that there wasn't enough politics thought through with that decision and what and what it would mean in, in the real world and how it would be misinterpreted and how it has created confusion and put uh, an onus on businesses that were not that were going to be unable to respond to it. And, and we see it now. Uh, businesses are unable. They're saying, look, the CDC says X, so we're not going we can't dispute that. And. I think sometimes people make fun of politicians, of course, because they're so political, but ultimately politicians have to respond to the people and are able to, I think, sometimes be a little bit of the uh, policy whisperer when they get the policy and can disseminate it in a, in a better fashion. And I think perhaps that could be a potential learning. It's, you know, the health, public health folks have to disseminate the policy up to our elected officials who can then... Yeah, perhaps disseminated more properly. Well, it's interesting about what you said about um, the masking. That remind me going back to the states that Texas was one of the first states to repeal um, the mask mandate, and everyone was sort of expecting this massive explosion of cases. And you know, I was reading somewhere where it said it's not that much of a surprise that we didn't see that because these people were already not wearing masks anyways, most likely. 
So when you think about the CDC doing that, and we're not really seeing a jump in cases either, it seems like people have made up their minds about what they want to do and what they feel comfortable with. Just as you know, you were saying with your friends last summer, um, everyone is sort of at this point come to understand what feels good for them. And they've been having those habits. And that's why, you know, we're not really seeing so much movement. And of course, vaccines are, are here now. Right. Well, we'll leave it there. But I think the big takeaway is airborne viruses. The spread can be stopped with airborne viruses with masks. If nothing else, masks work. Um, and again, I've joked about this a few times. I've semi-joked. I hope that masking continues. If I feel a sniffle, I would like to wear a mask so I don't infect others that I, you know, if I have to come in contact with, you know, things that I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't stay home for necessarily. But if I feel something coming on, it's very simple to wear a mask. I've learned that now. They're easy to come by. And I hope that that becomes a regular part of our society. I don't know that it will, but, you know, I plan on doing it. And I, I've spoken to others who plan on doing the same. And if everyone has that courtesy, maybe there'll be a few less cases of influenza, colds running around. And, you know, maybe that means a few less deaths, which would be a good thing. Yeah, same here. All right. Well, with that, there's definitely a lot more to cover on, on a topic like this, but we'll, uh, we'll leave it there for this week. As always, you can check us out at ghlf.org. That's ghlf. Org. And yeah, we look forward to, to chatting again um, on another topic, another time. Thank you to Zoe and thank you to our listeners. Thanks, Steven. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.